The back-to-back podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Mo, did you know that ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Seriously? Yeah, and Game Time tracks those prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the last-minute deals. Up to 60% off, Mo. It's wild. Are you serious? Hold on, hold on. Sixty percent off? Yeah, absolutely. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Well, you could join the uh, over twelve million fans that have downloaded the Game Time app and discover the fastest, easiest way to get into a game. You can. There are tickets across all major leagues and teams. The app is extremely easy to navigate. Even Mo could use it. Two taps. Oh, whoa! I got. I got a question. Besides that insult, there, nice one. Is it only sports tickets? Can no. I go check out a concert. Absolutely. Music, theater tickets, whatever you want to see. Two taps to check out, and you're in business. So head over to the App Store or the Play Store now, download Game Time, and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with Mo DeKeel and your host, Dave Dufour. Are you ready to be entertained? Welcome to the back-to-back podcast on The Athletic. It is Thursday, and that means this is Nerder She Wrote. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as always by Mo Dakil and our special guest, who also has joined me on this show quite a bit, Coach David Thorpe from True Hoop. What's up, Coach? You'd be happy to know that I'm not wearing a tank top. I probably could. I think it's going to be 80 today. Oh, man. But uh, it was chillier this morning. So, so. it is cold you're here. Not, you're not... You're not on brand, Coach. I'm th- that's it. Podcast over. I'm out. He's not on brand. I'm done. I'm going home. I'm not interested. Get me somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, you a disappointment. It is. It is cold here in Story Texas. Early. Uh, this is normally like, or at least last year, this is what it felt like in January, where it's like 40. So it's I'm wearing um, sweatpants and a hoodie, and I've got my North Face thermo ball slippers on so i'm very like comfortable oh, hopefully geez. i don't fall asleep so yeah i read it was you know, we're not bad we, we got i think in the 50s late last night it was probably mid 60s this morning but um I'm, I'm actually heading very soon to some cold weather I, I get to do something that i never thought i'd be able to do i never thought it would even be remotely possible but one of my former players being inducted to his college hall of fame uh and he asked me to introduce him so uh, my wife and I are flying. Uh, we'll, we'll just be in North Carolina, but it's going to be cold there. Yeah. It's going to be 20s at night. Yeah. And luckily, they, they, he's a basketball player, so it's indoors, right. not outdoors. Uh, when, but, uh, what part of North Carolina? I'll be in Colowitz, Western Carolina. Kevin okay. Martin got induct- is getting inducted. So That's awesome. Um, Colowitz, we're, actually, we're just flying to Atlanta mm-hmm. because we get a drive through the uh, Chattahoochee National Forest, and my wife is excited about Hanging out with me for three hours, I'll turn my cell phone off and we'll talk and catch up about our kids and see the leaf change. I think she's hoping, and then we'll party it up with the Martin family. We'll we'll do the Hall of Fame speech in the morning, and I got to come back Saturday night to watch games. That's the way it's the season right now. That's awesome. Uh, I I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to be in Raleigh for Thanksgiving, and uh, since I'm going to be oh, out, wow. yeah. So um, since I'll be out there that week, I'm going to try to go go to Duke and and UNC and see some of these guys that are. That are going to be in the yeah. draft this year. Um, 
I just don't know if I can tolerate college basketball. <laughs> it's getting better. I would tell you, I've watched just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my son's got, including my son, I'm happy to say we have about 71 players on the team. Uh, and I've got to start paying attention a little bit to fits for, for our players. And they are adopting some of the things that, that we've been doing in the NBA for a while. Uh, and so it's, it's the players aren't any good, but then again, I'm watching the G league every day Yeah, and, uh, they're fantastic and terrible at the same time right? because they're so talented and just clueless about how to play basketball, but they're freaking talented. So, um, college is the same. The, the games are a little bit more fluid, more movement, balls moving more, people are moving more. Uh, it, it just, they're just not, they just can't play basketball yet, yeah. but, uh, at least it's easier to watch than it used to be. I kind of want to watch that Evansville Kentucky game from the other night, just because I want to see what uh, what what exactly they were doing to you know to make up for the the talent deficit. So I'm always curious about that when when a when a school like that can can pull off a big a big win. I tell you, I tell you, this is something that's good to know about because uh, again, I haven't watched a lot of college. I had a college coach. Uh, he's in he's in the ACC. And he, um, we were talking about my son, and he's not good enough to play, at least certainly not right now. He didn't come close to playing ATC. He's getting better, and he's got a Division I school talking to him, but he's also got some walk-on opportunities where he's invited as a walk-on to, like, top 15 schools in the country. And, and uh, I actually wouldn't mind him, him doing that, but um, he wants to play. And this coach said to me something really smart. He said, we play Duke every year, twice a year. And they beat us by one, and we beat them by one. And they're great games because we lose every year you know, a guy or two to the NBA, and they lose a guy or two to the NBA. And so it's just a bunch of young kids that are super talented. He's like, then we play, he said, Walford or uh, Vermont or Davidson, and we're petrified and very often get a buzz kicked because they've got juniors and seniors that are incredibly dedicated players uh, who get to be very, very good when they're 21, 22, 23. And they kick our young kids' asses. And he said, your son, with his work ethic and how he's progressing, like he needs to go to one of those schools instead of walking on and play. And by the time he's a junior or senior, he'll beat those high majors because they're just so young. And that's that's the reality of it. These high majors so often have, like I watched the Gators play the other day. Uh, they're very talented. They got a couple of guys that may go first round, but they're not any good. They, they're still just kids. And that you get the older college players who have an idea and are tougher too, uh, mentally tougher, not physically tougher, and stronger because they've lifted weights for more years. And it's a it's a mitigating factor, a significant one. What was the reason why Villanova and Virginia have been so successful? Yeah. Right? I, like this is you know, this is my argument for the NCAA to come out in favor of the NBA eliminating the one and done rule. Because you could then have a uh, like you could return college basketball to what it used to be where guys stuck around longer just because they're you know maybe they're not as talented as as the guys that are going to go straight from high school but they're still good players and, and you can get these guys to stick around three or four years it would be a better product people could actually buy in a little bit more because nobody likes to just root for laundry you know they they like the players you know like they like to watch these guys progress from year to year and so i, I think that you could solve a lot of the college basketball's problems if the NBA would get rid of the, the one and done rule. I be all for that. Yeah. So, okay. <clears throat> That's enough college basketball talk. Whew. That, that might be my quota for the year. Uh, <laughs> I, this season has been weird so far in a good way. 
It's been really fun. A lot of surprises. And I really want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, more more Coach Thorpe than, than Mo because I talk to Mo too much now. Uh, <laughs> I, I try not to talk to you. I want to limit our conversations, Dave. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole different story, but like, you know, the, if you could only see the facial expressions when I get like, God, another text from Dave. Damn. Yeah. It's usually a sous vide related text though. So, um, coach, what has stood yeah. out to you early? Like what, what surprised you? Well, before I get into that, and I, I, I have to even think about really my what's most surprising. I'm writing about the Celtics, and so we, we'll definitely talk with them. But yeah. let me first start with this. I'll ask both of you guys, uh, what's the least surprising thing that's happened this season? LeBron and Anthony Davis being really good on the court together? I'd rate that number two. And my Ooh. rankings that made number two because I completely agree that that was very obvious. Yeah, yeah. There's something more obvious. What do you got, Mo? The Knicks being a dumpster fire. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) That's a home run. Number two and number one on my list. The Knicks being fucking terrible and just stupid. And and LeBron and Davis being incredible, of course. So all right. so my my theory worked. Is that the proof that they were completely unsurprising? What's great about What's great about that, though, Coach, is they're on polar opposites, too. One being great, one being a disaster. It's kind of just perfect. You know, I I look at what the Knicks have done, and then I look at what the Cavs have done. Because the Cavs are are bad, too, right? Like, they're not good. They're playing pretty well right now, but they play hard, and it's a fun team to watch. And I feel like all the Cavs fans that I know are enjoying watching this team, even though it's not good. Why couldn't the Knicks just do that? You know, put out a team that's young, fun, plays hard, you know, all this stuff. Instead, they did, you know, what they did. That's not what the Knicks do. You know this. You've been around oh, enough. Yeah. You've seen enough Knicks teams. Uh, and Coach Thorpe knows it better than both of us. That's not what they do. They don't go young. They don't. They pretend to go young and then completely go, we're going big game hunting. We're, we're changing everything. And all of those things. And and to be honest, it's not that different than what like teams like the Lakers have done. The Lakers were going young, then they got LeBron and now they went game big game hunting. Difference is it actually works for them. Whereas the Knicks just can't seem to get out of their own way sometimes. And that's I mean, that's just kind of my view of it. And you know, I can I would never expect them to have a young and scrappy team like Cleveland, who by the way, is a huge surprise for me. Um they they've been a ton of fun to watch. But like I would never expect them to have that just because as soon as they have a bit of a little bit of success, they want to get jump forward 10 steps before taking the second step. Yeah. John, John Beeline is a pretty good coach. It turns out. You want to hear Beeline story I, from college? Yes. Yeah. It's that it's not about college basketball. It's just when he was in college. So many years ago, I had a, a player that I that I actually trained a lot. They became a player at Dayton and then he became a coach at Dayton. And I was also really friendly with the guy. So I knew Oliver Purnell very well. He was the coach there then. He recruited my player and was still coaching there. And I was very friendly with Thad Mata and all the guys at uh, Thad and Sean Miller and John Gross, pretty amazing coaching staff, Xavier. And they invited me. It was very, very cool. I don't think I was at ESPN yet. Um, I wasn't media at all. They invited me to each go to a, uh, their last practice before they played each other, and the, it was, they were the two best teams in the league. Uh, maybe two of the best three. Uh, Jameer 
That might have been the year Jameer went undefeated, and so it may be two of the three best. So um, I go to Dayton in the morning and go to practice, and John Beeline had just been named. Uh, uh, no, not yet. He had not been named Coach of the Year yet. But but and I hadn't really heard of him. He was at Richmond, remember? Yeah. Yep. I so was there. I was also in Richmond. So I go to Dayton. I practice, but I go to see Oliver first in his office. And I, you know, his team was great. Hey, great job, coach. You really did so well. And uh, I think I think you might be named Coach of the Year. And he's like, well, maybe I will. But uh, John Beeline's the best coach in this league. And he said so matter-of-factly. And I wasn't even totally sure I could spell Beeline's name right. Uh, he just was such a you – know, I had heard about him a little bit. didn't know a lot. So then I drove I drove to Zane. I drove to Cincinnati. It's, you know, not a far drive. And I go to see Thad before practice. And and I, I, I really think he had been named Coach of the Year, like, in the in the interview. Like, it was crazy. And I said, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And he said, ah, thank you. But uh, John Beeline's the best coach in our league. And I told I told the guys that night at dinner, I'm like, it's unbelievable how much respect this guy has. I fucking barely even ever heard of him before. Yeah. So I've never forgotten that. Like everywhere he's gone, he's clearly, clearly a special coach, right? Yeah. Because uh, I thought their team sucked going into the season, and I'm not convinced they won't. Well, they're suck. not. Yeah, they're not good. They don't have much talent. But they're not terrible. They're what is their point differential? Point nine. Yeah, different? yeah. Like they're hanging in there right now, and they're they're. Uh, you know, we'll see if they, I thought if they traded Kevin Love, they're really screwed. I've not really watched them much, but it's hard to it's hard to argue with what you're saying. They're finally they're finally be five hundred. You know, ten games in, that's good. Yeah, I, l- listen, I, I think what he's done really well is he's got them playing hard, even the vets. Tristan Thompson has been fantastic. He's, fantastic. He looks really good. Um, uh, he he might be a piece that uh, you know helps helps the team get to the finals. Um, I mean that's another oh, talk yeah, about another right. really surprise. Yeah. I mean I almost I completely forgot about. I him, know. To be I, I thought he was on his way out, he, uh, but he's, he he's looking really good. And I was like, whoa. And uh, <laughs> but the, the biggest thing is on the offensive end. Listen, they're not they're not doing a great job on defense, but on the offensive end, I think what he's done, uh, you know, I, to me the best coaches get out of their players' way, right? They help point him in the right direction, but they're they're not trying to to control him. You have to like. There's a reason why these guys have made it to the NBA, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're really, really talented. So, like, when you get in their way as a coach, you can actually limit the effectiveness of their talent. And he is doing a really good job of just letting those guards that can create create, make stuff happen. They're not running a lot of plays. It's very, very simple offense, but it's working because you know he's allowing them to cook a little bit. I love that. They're doing something too that I. I, I don't even know if I have a name for it, but a lot of times I noticed it a bunch in the, the game against the Sixers where they'll have their big posting up and the defense will, will try to shade to the high side. And it just, it, it just turns into like almost a baseline screen. So the guard just has to beat his man and there's no help coming over. So, you know, it happened three or four times where they got a, a, a nice little layup out of it. And I was just wondering, I'm like, I don't know if this is beelines coaching or whatnot, but it's something I haven't seen uh them do often it's something i haven't seen a team make a concerted effort to do and but it really felt like that's something they were doing so i'm, I'm going to give credit to him but it 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 was something pretty just smart just just being aware and it's something i think he's tapping into with these guys is it's kind of just getting them thinking a little bit better and getting them through the games especially the young guards getting them through it a you little bit you know quicker. this is something sort of like what when Brad Stevens first came to the Celtics 
I think there's there's a little bit of this with with coaches that have coached in other leagues, like not the NBA, but guys coming up from the G League, guys coming from Europe, where they ta- they they are like, you know what, this works for us here. They don't see it a lot in the NBA. Let's try it. I mean, Brad brought he resurrected the flex offense when he got to Boston. I mean, all of his baseline sets are, are flex, and you know that people say he's a genius. Well. He's really, really smart for using stuff that works, right? That's what it is. But it's all old stuff. It's just that everyone had stopped using it. Yeah, so basically the last team that I remember ran the flex a lot was Jerry Sloan. They ran the inverted flex with um, Booker to shoot the 18-footer, O'Kirk to shoot the three, and Ronnie Williams, uh, Ronnie Brewer and Darren Williams would kick your ass in the paint as guards, and then Carolina could do both. And it was the best offense in the league that year. When, when they, at least one year for sure they finished number one with that inverted flex. And, and uh, I, I actually don't love the flex for high school. Pros are different because they read the game so much right. better. Everyone shoots three and it really stretches out the defense. You don't want to run it entirely, but there's just so many ways to get into it. And you can get into it after a play and you can run a play. You can run it and then get into a play. Both are effective things. Uh, Brad, I'm writing about Brad. Uh, I know you like this, Dave. I'm writing about him for, for Friday. Um, He's got a hell of a job. This he year. has. I've I've been uh, you know, tooting his horn for him. He's done a really, really good job. But I'm not surprised that that he's taking this team that has like all of these guys that are you know, it's a lot of mismatched parts. I'm not surprised that he's getting the most out of them. This is where he actually is at his best, is finding creative ways to use guys that are that are non traditional. And so, like, I expected him to be pretty good this year. Not this good. And there's still some stuff with the offense that I have issues with. They're still not shooting enough free throws and things like that. But I, I think that's just that's just how Brad's offenses are going to be. Um, but defensively, man, they've been they've been fantastic. Cancer being hurt sort of helped them. You know, not having to play him, uh, I think, really helped him. And and you know, I'm of the opinion that that this team is going to be its best version if Rob Williams is good enough in the spring that, that you basically are like, well, you can't really play anybody else because Rob is too good. Playing Cantor heavy minutes would be the problem, right? So like you said, so that's why Williams, Williams development is the thing to really watch for the Celtics going forward. You know, if he can be the guy that you're hoping he could be in his second year by the end of April, that, that limits that from Cantor and it allows Cantor to kind of Cantor's good in spurts. And that allows him to kind of continue to be the Ennis Cantor that, can be productive off the bench. So I think that's really the name of the game for the Celtics and, and a big issue there. So that's something we got to watch all year. And, and Williams has been good to start out. Yeah. I mean, he was excellent when they came down here to San Antonio. I mean, he, he's a cheat code. Cause you can just throw the ball anywhere within eight feet of the basket. And it's a lob dunk for him. It's just <laughs> incredible. And Jalen Brown's been pretty damn he good. He really has. You know, uh, when he missed those games, there was a huge drop off for them defensively, and it was a good. It was a good chance to really see how important he is for them. Um, when they have him coming up high on the ball handler, he's causing a lot of chaos. He's he's a, he's six six and a half, six seven, seven foot wingspan. You know, powerfully built guy. When he gets downhill on offense, like a freight train. But uh, he has a chance to be an all-league defensive player. So does Jason Tatum if he wanted to be. He may choose not to be. But that, that is a very, very agile guy. Um, they're not Paul George, but they're Paul George-ish. And uh, that's fine. 
and to, they're both on the same team. Yeah, I mean, and he's he's improving uh, with the ball in his hands on offense. Um, you know, his three point shooting it, it looks like it's dropped off, but if you dig in a little bit, he's just not shooting as much from the corners because he's creating more. And so, you know, that you, you've got that trade off there. Uh, personally, I'd love to see him get more corner three opportunities. He's pretty good there. He's like 40% for his career. But he doesn't want to be just stuck in the exactly. corner. So I give Brad, here's where you give Brad credit. You got to let these guys develop. Mark, he could do that with Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart has got a chance to have a, a career year in assists. And part of it's because he's getting a chance to do it more. And that's, that's one reason why they're so, I think, collected. They're connected is they, they've all got to kind of say in this. It's not just a Kyrie Irving show a little right, bit. Right. I was going to say that yeah, there's I, some chemistry addition by subtraction. Yeah, I think that one was, I think the the chemistry part, I think we all saw coming just with everything I've heard of how great of a guy Kemba is, you know, that you kind of saw that part coming. But going back to your point, Dave, about wanting Brown in the corner more, you know, it's a trade-off. You know, he doesn't get, he doesn't do the stuff. He, we, we, he doesn't get to work off the dribble. He doesn't get to kind of help create like coach was saying and things like that. If he's just sitting in the corner. And I think that's kind of the thing, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the phrase, you know, you don't put baby in the corner. I mean, that's the thing. Like you're trying to, you're trying do you, to do you even know what that's up. from dirty, dirty dancing, right? I'm surprised. Well, Twenty year old coach, don't first off, you don't don't doubt me. I'm almost forty. That's right. Okay, and I have three older sisters. I've seen more '80s movies than anybody else. I can run through Greece if you want. This is you the know, official the official middle aged pod here. Wait, like, wait a second. Hold, hold on a second. I, I, when I saw Greece in the theaters, neither of you guys were alive. <laughs> that's that's right, that's a good point. Right. Well, my sisters that was a were. Big deal. I, my, I, I didn't have control of the remote growing up. Three older sisters. You got to remember. Awesome. Like I got to watch all the stuff they've watched. Okay. Uh, 16 candles. I know all the John Hughes movies. So don't be surprised. If I pull, okay. if I pull out a reference here and there. Have you, have you seen, have you guys read, seen the movie or read the book? Um, high fidelity. I've seen the movie. I've seen high fidelity. Yeah. Movie's great. Book is yes. book takes place in London. It's probably better. Because the movie takes place in Chicago, but uh, it's not '80s, obviously. But reminds me of that. It was, that's uh, the, I don't know why I thought about that, but I just did. It's a uh, great reference for a lot of great '80s music. Yeah, uh, <laughs> movie. Okay, that's so crap. the biggest surprise to me right now, yeah, is Andrew Wiggins, and you know, it's it's early. He's played 11 games, but what what a huge difference. Like it's almost like they replaced Andrew Wiggins with a different player. He's got six games in a row with at least five assists. Incredible. And and it's not just the numbers. It's when you watch him play, he looks different. His shot profile has changed. He's shooting more threes. He's up to like six and a half a game. Um, he's getting to the basket. And he's he's eliminating those mid-rangers, which really killed him. I mean, you know, replacing the mid-rangers with with three-point looks has made him a more efficient player by a lot. But the playmaking part of his game is really, really surprising to me. Didn't know he had it. You know, so, the, the, go ahead, Mom. Well, the, the thing about Wiggins, too, is I think sometimes it just goes to show how quick we are to judge. We don't – you're right, Dave. It's still early. We don't know what's going to happen you know, it's been just 10, 11 games, but everything you said is correct. Shot profiles change. It looks different, the whole thing, but you know, he's also in his fifth year. Like he's still a young kid. He's still, 
a baby. I mean, he wouldn't have gotten any of the references we just talked right. about. So, <laughs> you, you know, and it's like, this is the thing we expect from a lot of these young guys. And we do it with all of them. We did it with Tatum. We've done it with Mitchell. We're doing it with Simmons. Like these dudes are babies and we're putting in what we used to expect when guys were coming out juniors and seniors, you know, we were expecting them to make these leaps three or four years in. It just takes longer now. And just unfortunately with the way the contracts are structured, you got to, these teams got to take a bet on these guys and sign them and hope they're going to be what they're going to, what they project to be down the road um, and, and take that risk. So it's, it's kind of like, we're just seeing the the progression of him and finally he's growing and it's, it's finally clicking and, and it's happening at a time where, you know, he's, he's what 24, like it's, it's just sort of hitting at a time we would expect, you know, fifth year in the league. Like that's, that's the progress we're expecting. And I think sometimes we're too quick to judge these young guys and, and dismiss them. And I think that's really kind of the case with Wiggins. Well, there's no doubt that I, I'm not going to say we're too quick to judge because I definitely don't. Uh, you, you can't know basketball and judge that quickly. It's unfair. It's not Andrew Wiggins fault that he went number one and asked for, he didn't ask for all the, all the notoriety and the um, criticism. He was number one for, for reasons we know. Uh, there's a player that's really good in the NBA that never averaged more than 2.6 assists per game uh, until he finally broke through the following year, which I think his fifth or sixth year, let me look, one, two, three, four, five, his sixth year, he got to 3.5 assists. And it, it was the best year of his career where he averaged 25.5 and five points and uh, 3.5 assists only. And that was Kawhi, right? Uh, and Pop talked about how he's finally learned when we call a play for him, it's not for him to score, it's for us to score. The, uh, the difference is Kawhi was just way better at getting buckets than Wiggins. But it's it, Wiggins, both of them, neither of them really knew how to play the way they do now. Uh, Kawhi's last year in San Antonio, he only played nine games, and he averaged 2.3 assists in those nine games, which is not really fair. It was nine games, right? Uh, his team could have been on a cold streak for four of those games, and that would greatly change things. He's played nine games this year for the Clippers. Paul George hasn't played, and he's averaging six assists a game. Yeah. Right. He's, he's, he's learned how to play now. Wiggins is allowed to grow up. He's allowed to learn how to play. He's very different than Kawhi, but he's got it. He's got, I've always thought he had a chance to be Gervinish as a, as a, a slasher to the rim with more athleticism and uh, better in transition and a shooter uh, and a post player. When he was in college, I actually saw him play in high school. He had a hell of a post-up game. It's something I don't think they take advantage of. And the reason why he had a post game is because he couldn't dribble. And so when you're Andrew Wiggins and you're this famous high school player and all you can do is dunk, well, you work out all the ways to get buckets. So otherwise you don't keep the number one ranking. He didn't work out his handle for whatever reason. He worked out his post game and he was fucking good. And he just played for a terrible franchise that never figured stuff out. And maybe he's figured on his own. Maybe, maybe the franchise finally has figured some stuff out, but you're allowed to grow up as a player. And right now he has, I guess he's had one great start in previous seasons. So we're all going to wait and watch and see, but we certainly love what we're seeing so far. Yeah, I, he still doesn't really have a good handle. Um, so he's, you know, that's something he's still going to need to improve yeah. on. But it is better now than it was like two years ago. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know, but he's been he's been excellent. Good coaching, it also, right? It also goes it also goes to, you know, something that I know Coach Stork believes. I know Dave believes, and I've said it before. Development's not linear, right? It's yeah. not just a straight line, you know, it's peaks and valleys. It's, it's yeah. the stock market. It's going to go up. Your guy's going to make a leap 
and then he he may not make a leap next year. He may he may take a step back even. It, it may take a while, especially with the younger guys. And you know, or if he or it's an incremental improvement, it might be so subtle that you know only his coaches would know or or his trainer would notice. And it's it's small things like that. So we're just kind of watching this in development, and and we're seeing him hopefully take this leap in the sense of understanding the shots he needs to take, you know, and getting to the line and the importance of that. And I think, you know, coach brought up Kawhi Leonard and that's just a great point. You know, he's, he's a guy that continues to grow. He's 28, 29 now. And he's, he's looking like a playmaker for the first time really in his career. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, happens over time. I just think our expectations with guys. And, and when I say, our, oh, I just mean collectively yeah. as the yeah, fans, yeah is is sometimes just out of whack you know and 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 we just think okay by year three he should be this yeah. and you don't know what's happening in year three like and it's that's too hard to leave anyway yeah, At least yeah. That. you know and, and 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 the thing is there's so many other things going on in their lives you know that's outside of the league you know just just all the stuff that's coming at them at the same time that's an overload i challenge any 24 year old to handle that yeah. you know and I mean, like, shoot, I probably can't even handle that now. So it's it's uh, the thing that we're watching. So I think it's just kind of a I just wish, wish people would be just a little bit more patient with guys in general, you know, and I wasn't a huge Wiggins guy to begin with, but I'm watching him now going like this is actual growth and I'm excited for it. Like, I genuinely want this to stick for him just because I'm excited to see it. I was a Wiggins guy. Uh, Henry Ab and I did a. a, a True TV once with Jade about Wiggins and uh, Henry had a little cardboard. I think Jade probably told him to start using some props in our videos. And he had a little cardboard paper though from a box and he wrote Thorpe loves Wiggins. And uh, it became like a funny joke with a lot of our shows, but uh, I did. I thought he could be amazing. I saw him in person a few times from high school and in the pros and um, very disappointed. And he just seemed like he didn't care. I remember I got killed by, bunch of Canadian fans online. I did some interview somewhere where I, and I wrote this actually, I, I did not think he should play for team Canada after his rookie year, uh, which is such a stressful year when you, when you're in the draft and you're the number one pick and you get through the season, man, it's been like, you've been doing stuff since May, June and all of a sudden the season ends in April. So it's an 11 month year for you nonstop as a number one pick. And I thought he needed to take a break from basketball and play and just work on his ball handling and get stronger. And all the Canadian national team people were so upset with me. I stand by what I thought then, like he would have been way better off early in his career, not worrying about playing for team Canada than worrying about playing for team Wiggins and, and the T-Wolves and developing his game because that's still that lack of, of uh, following that Mo mentioned that that's, that's what keeps him from getting up to another level is you, you like Jalen Brown, is talking about uh, Jalen used to not have a shake in his game. He does now. He's, he's got some shake in his game and it ain't easy when you're that big. Wiggins even taller and longer, uh, maybe longer, maybe about the same, about seven feet wingspan or so. Uh, it's, it's hard to get the, get the ball back in your hands right away when you're that high waisted. It takes time. And, uh, I'm hoping this inspires him. And by the way, he's playing with one of the singular great offensive talents ever in basketball. They could be formidable, formidable, and, and you know, uh, which is what we all thought all along. Yeah. You know, hope for anyway. And they and they look hungry. Speaking of hungry, why not try DoorDash? Had a long day at work or a tough day at school? Got your sweatpants on? Download the DoorDash app. 
Choose what you want to eat, and your food can be delivered right to your house. Connects to all your favorite restaurants in your city. Don't worry about dinner. Let it come to you. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code BACK. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code BACK. Don't forget the promo code MOCOACH. It's back, just like the podcast, back-to-back, for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Uh, So speaking of hungry, the Phoenix Suns are a good basketball team, and they are are playing defense like a team that actually cares about it. So I I have a little experience with um, enough players now, going back to uh, 2003, to tell you that, there are just some coaches who don't care to practice defense. And if you don't really prioritize it, it doesn't matter how much talent you have in terms of defensive talent. It doesn't much matter. You've got to prioritize it. It's got to be a talking point. It's got to be with, with some teeth. You have some consequence for guys not doing it. And, uh, and when you do get someone in with some talent, Baines obviously makes a difference. Rubio makes a difference. Uh, that combination works really well. Yeah, they they're currently fifth in net rating. Pretty uh, pretty <laughs> insane turnaround. Um, did did you guys? They'd be worse with Aiden. You know what? They have an interesting thing when he comes back. I think he's going to have to come off the bench. And and I, I get like I understand he was number one pick last year and all this stuff. And, and it shouldn't be an indictment on his career. But I think Phoenix actually has a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. The Warriors are out of it. The Spurs look awful. Portland is just, I mean, they're going to struggle because of injuries and whatnot. Phoenix has a real shot to make, make the playoffs, Mo. No, I mean, they're in the mix. It's, there's no question about that. And nobody saw this one coming. Uh, and if they, and, 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 and if they did, I have questions. I, I want to know how much money they put down. Cause if you saw it coming, you put money down on it and you're making money. If you didn't, I don't believe you. Um, but just the whole level across the board, you know, adding competence, you know, on the court, just players who know how to play make a huge difference. Having, you know, coach just talked about it, having coach Monty Williams on there and really setting the tone and building a culture. You have to give credit to James Jones for putting together a roster that, you know, we actually haven't seen them really have this many competent guys in a long time. You know, a lot of times it was mismatch or things like that. And this allows Booker, to expend energy on defense. Uh, it allows him to be off the ball because he trusts that Rubio is going to get him the touches that he needs and things like that. All of this just kind of works together. I, I watched them in that Laker, the, the Laker game, and it was a fun, fun game. There's still some young stuff here and there, Dave, that I think is probably going to hurt them a little bit and might cost them to, to just miss out on the playoffs, you know, but they're, they're right in the mix and they're going to be in the mix all the way, you know, it, basically throughout the whole season, unless they, unless something bad happens. But the question you brought up and you brought this up before on the pod, you know, what do you do when Aiton comes back? That's going to be a test for them. And that's going to be a test for Monty Williams ability to have, you know, the culture that he's building, but, you, you know, know, him, does he, does he have, but no, no. The question is, does he have Aiton support in that? Right. It's, it's hard. I think, you know, the, the idea of it, because he's a young kid. He may not see necessarily what's right for the team, you know, and, and he may not see that this is probably the smartest thing to do. And we're doing this for the team. And he he's 
still might be a little bit selfish. That's just a normal young thing, I think, to happen. And he may not understand everything. It's all about how does Williams and Jones, to an extent, kind of bring this to him. And, you know, and they both have to be aligned in that. Jones and Williams have to be on the same page and to go, we're going to go with this. We can't show any cracks in that. And we got to talk to him about it. And I think that's really how it works. But, you know, the most important thing to me, it isn't about who starts to finish. That's right. And that's and that's really the thing, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the the end of games. That's really what I'd watch when Aiton comes back. You know, he, he can start five minutes and they can bring Baines in like that. That's not going to bother me. It's really about who are they playing at the end of games that that would matter. Well, who are they playing the majority of the minutes? Right. Like Baines, you know that you're getting he can stretch the floor offensively, but you're getting the defensive, you know, end of this as well with Aiton. He's just not there yet. He has improved, but he's not at the Baines level defensively yet. And also, I think Aiton could could thrive in an off the bench role this season when he comes back. He could score. I mean, is it is it impossible to believe that he could give you 20 points a night coming off the bench? Who's got a backup center that can that can guard him? I I would not start him. I would I would reward I would want him to see we're rewarding professionalism and and defense and knowing your role and Baines checks all those boxes. And I would care less if Aiden wasn't happy. Uh, I would just say, listen, I don't like it. Where do you want to get traded? Give us ten teams um, of where you'd like to go one day and and resign in two two more years, and we'll trade your sorry ass. Wow. Because because if you are willing to come off the bench now, if you want to play him 10 minutes a game, different story. But Bain's only playing 24 now. So it wouldn't be so hard to go uh, to, you know, lower that to 22 mm-hmm. and get eight to 26, let's say, give or take. Uh, there'll be some games where Baines doesn't play at all or gets a foul throw and plays even less that you can give him minutes to. But but if he if you're going to build a winner and you've got a kowtow to an ego Sorry, moving on. I, I'm not at all suggesting a, uh, Aiden won't be humble. Right, I have no right. idea. I've never met the man. Never, wouldn't even recognize him in a bar. Um, in fact, I don't think he legally can go into a I bar. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's seven feet young. tall. I think he'd stand out. Yeah, well, I, mean, I hang out with some bars with really tall people. So, <laughs> That's good just kidding. Um, he is he's a talented dude, and I think he, I loved him with Rubio. Yeah. So, I, mean, I, I, I like the idea of them playing together for sure, and I would want to coordinate my rotation to get Rubio back in with Aiden when, if you brought him off the bench, because I think he can get him buckets and we want that. But I think your point is great. If you, if you know, you got to find ways to score. This is a secret that some teams have figured out a long time ago, unless you're like the Warriors, you, you need to have someone that, that can just do it for you. in that second unit, like Lou Williams has and a few others. And if he could, and if it's a big man, great. Remember, remember when Carl Landry yeah. led the league in bench scoring and fourth quarter scoring? Yes. That was sweet. Yes. Aiden could do something I mean, like that. you look at, look at Lou and, and Montrez Harrell, right? Like, I mean, it's yeah. a great combo coming yeah. off the bench. And part of why yeah. they're, they're so potent off the bench is because opposing teams just don't have an answer. And I don't think you, you can find a lot of teams that have an answer for Aiden. And I also am not saying that would be a permanent thing. Right, of course right. not. I, mean, I, I just think, you know, if they're still in it and they're still playing really well, I would I would never disrupt it in order to to just put him back in the lineup. Uh, other guys for this team, though, like Kelly Oubre has been fantastic this year. Really Obviously, good. Booker yeah. is like just off the charts. And it's amazing. His entire career, all we have wanted to see is what he would look like next to a good point guard. 
and they finally yeah. get one, and he looks incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's I finally think- answered. He's answered the question. You know, everybody for years was like, "Is he just a really good stats guy on a bad team?" And no, he's just a hell of a ball player, and it helps when you add better ball players around him, and he's going to be even better than what we've seen. So I, I just think he's he's kind of answered that question for for so long. You know, we've had that label on him for so long. He's finally able to shake that off with this team he has. I hate that label. I, if we if we don't have metrics that can tell us that answer, what are we doing? Like, don't how, how can we take analytics seriously, which I which I do, if there's such thing as empty stats? they're supposed to algorithm through that. So I, when people were knocking Kevin Love uh, in Minnesota, and meanwhile, his starting unit was fantastic, and most of his units were great, and their fucking bench was terrible, and Rick Allen had pretty much retired while he was still coaching, which understandably so, his wife was real sick and all of that. Uh, but don't act surprised that Kevin Love was suddenly really good when you had more good players around him. I, I just, to me, it's stupid. Booker... They they were horrible. What's he supposed to do? Not play well? Like it, the, it, it, the metrics told us something different. And uh, I, I'm not arguing. We need you know people still needed to see it. Uh, I I remember reading the other day. Oh, this is a couple weeks ago actually. Where T.J. Warren? Oh, he's never played a meaningful minute of defense. Well, that's not his fault. He's on a terrible fucking team. <laughs> right. And so guess what? He's trying to guard people now because he's trying to win games. Well, and also, by the way, coaching coaching matters right. for stuff like that. System right. strategy matters hugely. Yeah. Like it is, and motivation. Yeah. It's a player's league, and there are times where on game to game, I think coaches might get a little bit too much credit. But from a holistic look down on, you know, top-down view of the team, the coach really does matter for the culture and, and like you said, the system and defensive principles and all these things. And now TJ Warren's getting to play for, you know, Nate McMillan, a very good coach. And Monty Williams is coaching this Phoenix Suns team. They, it helps that they have an NBA roster, you know, for the first time in years. Yeah. They, right. they, they probably have eight guys that are legit players, uh, maybe nine. And, and that's a lot for, for Phoenix. So, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised, but they've just been so bad for so long that it, it really came out of nowhere. Well, here, here's the one caveat that you guys know it, which is they're a terrible ownership group. So, and I, I love James Jones. As, uh, I loved him when he was a sophomore at UFC Miami, and I first saw him play in person and thought, "Oh, that guy's a pro." I uh, loved him surprisingly because uh, he didn't really all, look all that fast, but he had a couple of really unique things and, a, and a really a. Very, very, very smart young man. Very smart. So what he's doing now is not surprising. But uh, but their owner sucks. So if anyone can screw this up, the, the Kings, the Knicks, the Suns, unless somebody, <laughs> they're busy doing other things. But I, I know we're going to talk about young guys. I want to ask you, I watched Cameron Johnson the other day. I never, I never saw him play before uh-huh. in college. What do you guys think of Does Cameron Johnson? Does he count as a young guy? No, but he's a rookie. Right. Uh, I think that he look. He looks to me like a guy who could play ten or twelve years in the league. His jumper is perfect, and he, I mean he's going to really shoot. It's really sweet. really really well for his entire career. Nothing wrong but with his, that. But his issues. You, if you can draft that at number eleven, job well right. done. So that's the big thing. Is like people think some of these guys wind up being a reach, but now you look at the roster they they put together. It's like no, Cam makes some sense for this team now. Right, they could use that guy, that that dude that could come in, play the four, stretch the floor, things like that. Um, 
I think he's been really good. I like how he sets screens. Yeah, I think that's just I, – I think you touched on something, Dave, too. Like, you don't know what the team's thinking when they're going into the draft. And, hey, it may be too high to draft this guy, but we need this guy, and we don't think he's going to be available later. We're just going to take him now and, and whatever, deal with the press, and, oh, my God, he's taken too high and all of those things. So I think it's just one of those things. He fits perfectly for what they need, and he's doing a great job. Yeah. And it- uh, when when – in 2006, I was not yet at ESPN. I, but I had a blog, and I wrote that I I would have taken JJ Redick number one in that draft. That was the Bargnani draft. Um, I didn't know Aldridge all the well. I saw him play in high school in person in Dallas, and was very very really high on him. He ended up being a different player than I thought he would be because when he was in high school, he was super long and athletic and really physical, like not afraid to bang. I was very impressed with that. But I, the, my, my point on J.J. was, uh, if, if in fantasy, I knew he wasn't going number one, uh, you, you, you could have this guy and he's going to play forever. You know there's no defense he hasn't seen already before a bunch of times. He can really shoot. And even back then, I thought shooting was incredibly important, but the most important thing, tough as nails. And I just thought there was zero downside. It was impossible he wasn't going to be a long-term starter. And actually, I wrote, I thought he started for a playoff team. Uh, people were hammering me on that back then. Uh, I just now called it up. He went number 11 in that draft. You would definitely argue Kyle Lowry should have gone ahead of him, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't think you would say Rudy Gay should have gone ahead of him. Probably not. I mean, I, I understand why you would have drafted Rudy Gay before. Right. But in terms of what they've accomplished in their right. careers. Right, go back and look I, back. Right. right. LaMarcus Aldridge, maybe, maybe, maybe so. So maybe he should have gone third. But he, he went 11th, which isn't terrible. But that's what I'm saying with Cam Johnson. Who again, I know nothing about the guy. But uh, he can really shoot. And he's got good size. Uh, there, and he played in North Carolina. It's not like he played at some tiny school. Uh, the guy's seen everything. I, I, I think it was a solid pick. They might know what the, they're doing. The there. one issue with, with Cam is he had, you know, he's had, got a hip problem. And we've just, you know, even, I mean, recently seen guys like Looney, Isaiah Thomas, the, like the hip issues yeah. are, are, are a red flag. Um, is it the same issue? It, I think it's similar. I mean, he did have a procedure on the hip. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that the injury red flags also plays into this when you're evaluating it. But the truth is, like yeah. right now, I think he looks pretty good. And as long as they can keep him healthy, it's great. But, you know, the, the expectations that people have for some of these draft picks after like the fifth pick, pretty Pretty crazy. Like, I, I think that for a team like this. I would say after the second pick this year. Yeah. To me, they're all about the same after pick one yeah. and two. Yeah, and, and in particular, it, when you already have a team with a lot of young guys on it, it makes some sense. I, I get it. Why not get a dude, you know, who played four years? Uh, like, uh, right. look at uh, Eric. Who can really yeah, shoot. Yeah, look at Eric Pascal, right? right? You're telling me that he wouldn't work well on a team like Phoenix or or pretty much anywhere? Right. Yeah, I, I do want to go back to one point that Coach made, though. We're all kind of waiting for Sarver to screw this up, right? Like, is he looking at the Knicks and kind of just going, I'm like, an optimist. hold a second, hold, I'm an a second. Optimist. Hold, hold my hold, hold my beer, you know, let me go do something? Um, like, are, 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 is, like, that's the one thing I'm really afraid of about this team more than anything else. I know he's had success with, with the Suns before, but, like, man, the past, what, like 10 years? 
or maybe or like seven. It's it just feels like every time there's there's a hint of hope, he's coming in in a second, and and it, it seems like he's out of town, and you're just waiting for him to come into town and screw it all up. Uh, have you? I know. Have I you guys had a chance to watch much of Anthony Simons? Oh yeah, yes. So, I think I think he's so good. At this point, the Blazers should consider trading CJ. McCall. I agree. Anthony Simons might be. I, he's like top five most electric guys under the age of twenty three. If I'm going to super qualify it, right? I, I think it's like him and Ja Morant are are one and two. Those, I mean, Anthony Simons is a walking bucket. Has no fear whatsoever and can really, really shoot. And just turned 20 in June. Yeah. He, <laughs> that dude is really, really can we good. Put together the, can we put together the, the, these guys can't drink but can ball team? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, uh, like Jer- we're getting there at Jaren this point. Jaron Jackson. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, so many guys. Uh, I mean, is the captain. That's right. Right, Luka Doncic, you got. Trust me, he's drinking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no. I have no doubt that all these dudes are probably drinking, (laughs) but but can legally drink a whole different story. It's just kind of amazing to watch it. You know how much he's kind of blossomed. Uh, I mean, he's he's been huge, man. I don't think they're gonna trade CJ. I think they might, but I thought. I mean, I wrote. In fact, I wrote a piece last last summer, this past summer, about. um, if Anthony Davis wasn't married to the Lakers, which I suspected that he was, I thought the best deal was to do something with Portland and the Pelicans could get Simons and Collins. Yeah. And then you know, all the money they'll need to get for the, to get the deal to work. And it would have been a great deal for New Orleans. I like, I love Brandon Ingram as a huge fan and still am. But uh, to me, Simons and Collins were worthwhile to get, uh, but it didn't happen. And now, now Portland has some options. Uh, they've they've got to do something probably. Uh, just you know, waiting for Nurkic. You know, losing Harkless yeah. makes a difference. Collins right? getting and hurt, by the way. Like he was, just got he was hurt. a big part of their yeah, plans. So, yeah, no doubt. Uh, that's that's a challenge. But uh, Henry Abbott told me he's a big Blazers fan. He told me last year that he was hearing that uh, Damian was just saying, was that literally saying, I guess publicly even, uh, this guy's my replacement. Like he's that good. And man, veterans don't talk that way inauthentically right. they're, they're happy to say it they just but they're going to mean it they're not going to say that they don't mean it and so and i and i saw them he, he played last his last year down here um, i never saw him play my son did but i want to saw him on video uh every once in a while a player jumps in a way that it catches me uh he's al thornton used to have that i saw him playing for, as a freshman at college of florida state and i just thought those about the best legs i ever saw i saw him in practice simon's had the same impact on me. It just, it, it's like he defies gravity. He's, and he's smooth. Yeah. And Dame, Dame is such a good culture builder, guys. Like, Simons is going to be a flipping beast, To man. come in with the ability to shoot the way he does and can off the dribble, again, that's the most valuable skill in the game. That's the game that gets you paid the most, shooting off the dribble. To be able to, it's also, yeah. to, be able to do that right it's away, it's insane. It's also really hard, uh, Mo, to you know what Luka Doncic is doing is harder. Doing what he's doing as the primary ball handler, leader of the right. team, undoubtedly is harder. But it is extremely difficult to average the double, double figures coming off the bench in 20 minutes or so a game, where you, you aren't getting nearly as many touches. Your your flow isn't the same. 
The guy's shooting 38% from three, 80 something percent from the line. Um, he shoot. He can I don't really think sh- people, I don't think people appreciate how hard that is coach. Like just uh-huh. the idea of, if you just think you go with the whole process of, of preparing for a game, you work out, out, you know, you get warm an hour before the game or whatever time he shoots on the clock or things like that. The game starts and you still don't get in again for probably another six or seven minutes of game time, which is probably what, 15, 20 minutes maybe. So it's, you know, you're looking at it like you haven't touched the ball in like two and a half hours now come in and right away you got to go perform, you know, like that's, I don't think people understand how hard it is coming in off the bench and doing that kind of stuff. So I, 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 I'm with you, coach. That's not an easy, easy thing to do. And let alone to do on this team, when you have guys like Dane's going to get a lot of shots, CJ's going to get a lot of shots. You know, if hood gets an open look, he's shooting, he's not looking to pass that much. And he's 20, he's 20 years old. He's doing, he's yeah. And he, and that's impressive. Like, I don't think people give that enough credit in, in just how hard it is for these dudes, for these guys to get buckets right off the bench. Sometimes like when a guy comes in, first time he touches it and then shoots it and scores. I'm like, damn, he's feeling pretty good. Like that just get a second, get the flow of the game. But some of these guys just feel it right away, but it's hard. It is freaking hard to do. And I don't think we give it enough attention to that and enough credit to these guys who do it. Normally takes a more veteran player. Uh, I used to always use the example. He's retired now, but Mike Miller uh, got to an age where, and he could have been, he could have been in the back in an ice bath and if he got the buzzer, come on in, Mike, we need you. He'd come in and start making threes right away. Like 23-year-olds try doing that, brick, brick, air ball. There's, a, there's just a certain level you get to typically unless you're just the real deal. And he, Simon's, yeah, when you can shoot like that and jump like that and compete, um, yeah, you got it. And, and Portland's got themselves a gem. Uh, I thought they would try to do a CJ for Beal deal last year. And, uh, uh, and maybe they did. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what the wizards want to do. If I'm the wizards, I would be dying to get Anthony Simons. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to just go back to the one story coach. Cause I think you'll appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, and, and he'll probably kill me. I'm assuming he won't listen to this chip England from the San Antonio Spurs told me a story of like how he used to work out with Kerr and, and obviously a veteran is they would shoot two shots and go sit on the bench and have a conversation for 20 minutes and then just immediately jump up off the bench and go two more shots, then go have another conversation for a few minutes. Cause that was <laughs> Kerr's game reps. That was what he had to be able to do. Oh yeah. Right. And, 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 and they literally practice that. So, you know, we, it, it is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. We no, we train that. We don't do it that way, obviously. And I, I haven't had a guy that made, late in his career. We just shot like that, but we try to make a game realistic. So, like you'll never see one of my, my workouts. We don't do spots and we almost never shoot from the same spot uh, or the same range. So one of my drills will be catch and shoot three shot, fake pull up jumper, catch and shoot six feet behind the line, uh, push full court, shoot a three, push full court, change directions. One shoot a three pin down, come out wide, shoot a three, pick and pop three. We just aren't doing the same thing the same way because that never happens in a game. So, we, so it's a matter of training the mind uh, uh, and I never, every time we have like a, a game winning kind of shot for the contest that we do, I, uh, we don't do good passes almost ever every once in a while, maybe, but we tend not to, because those game winning situations, you don't typically get a great pass. There's a lot of duress. So you got to train for that. So in Simon's case, he's almost too young to care 
he's just so talented that he's 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 breathing confidence. But that's where I give Damian some credit to is I just think their culture there, even though they're not doing well right now, I, I think it's so strong. Yeah. And, and it is tough when you're, when you're Simons and you have Damon CJ, they're literally first and second in the league in minutes. And, and they, they've been playing some really small three guard lineups with Simons out there. Um, and he's having to guard guys that are bigger than him or, or, you know, uh, older, a little bit more developed. He's holding his own. Like he's actually just like he's I think he's just a good player who might be too good to keep on the bench as long as they do right now. And I don't know. Maybe they'll move CJ. Uh any other any other rookies standing out for you? No, I want before we do, I want to ask you guys oh, a okay. question. Would you would you do would you do this deal? Would would you, if you're the Wizards and the and the Blazers, would you do Beal for like Simons and Whiteside? And then you you play Beal at the three. Uh, yeah. Uh, or you try. So they can't. So they can't do it because uh, of the extension that that Beal just signed. You can't do it till January fifteenth. Uh, no, Beal signed late. Coach Beal Beal signed an extension later, and he can't go for six months. So he that takes him past the deadline. But in in the hypo, but in the hypothetical world, it said you could do it on one side of that. I looked it up. It said you could do it on on January fifteenth. Because my thought is, you, if you if you would if you could do that, you can trade CJ for the small forward that you want, or because they have Zach and Nurkic. Yeah. So, you so probably I actually for think forward. for the first time ever, they've got an okay wing rotation with Bazemore and Hood. I mean, they've they've been pretty good. Um, the, what they're so bring CJ off the bench. Yeah, there's just so the what bench. they're really missing is you know is a somebody to play for Nurkic while he's out and, and right. they're missing that like help def defense plus four guy that they were getting from Zach Collins. I mean, Zach, one of the things that people have paid attention to is the fact that like he looked like he can shoot threes now, but the truth is where they really miss him is as a rim protector coming from the help side. That's where he's, he's been huge for them. Right. Right. But coach, but coach to answer your question. Yeah. I, I don't do that if I'm Portland. You know, I think you hold on to the, the other side of it, too, is CJ is so expensive. You know, I'm going to trade CJ and try to get try to turn him into the piece I need and keep Simons, who's also under cost control right yeah. now. And, and I think Beal, you know? too, and, is, is they would be looking to do the same thing. If they moved Beal, they would want I think they'd want more than just Simons. So I think that would be that they're going to get another thought. potential all-star. Yeah. I don't see. I don't think the wizards have a problem. I understand where Poland's coming from, but my attitude is you better, you, you better do something huge while Damien still can play like this. Uh, he's having a season Way too long. You're right out of the time. season he's having is insane. That I imagine, agree imagine with. Lillard and Beal. Who's, who's the best backcourt in the league at that point? I mean, it's definitely them. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you coach, but I kind of look at it this way. You know, would you do CJ for Aaron Gordon? And then you, at some point you can flip Whiteside for other pieces down the road. Yeah, you still can flip Whiteside. I think Whiteside um, for Steven Adams makes so much sense. But then Adams, you know, you, you got to figure out what you're going to do with him when Nurk comes back. Yeah, but see, that's why I think Aaron Gordon and, and, and Nurk can kind of play together. Oh, yeah. I think that works. So I think that's – when I look at it, that's kind of something – that's that's the dream scenario I'm looking for. Uh, 
you know, get CJ to Orlando. I think he'd be great there. They, he can, we'll see his star really rise over there. And I think, you know, Gordon would be really a good fit in Portland with these guys. I think Simons can kind of pick up the slack for CJ. I think they have a good situation there and then they could turn Whiteside into something else at the yeah, deadline. If they could somehow get Fournier in that deal. I don't think they no, can. I don't think they can either. But, and, and keep in mind too, I'm a big believer that if a team just tries to win 50 games a year, I don't care if they never win a championship, you're giving your fans a great season. They win more than they lose. As long as it's playing entertaining basketball, which of course with Damian there, they are. Uh, but if you try to win a championship, you're going to have to do something dramatic. All right. Uh, so any, any other uh, rookies stand out to you, coach? Well, obviously we all love John. He's Moran. incredible. So much two points to talk. Yeah, it's two more. He's too good. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. I I love. I don't only love the Grizzlies, but I love he and JJJ. Yeah. Although he's Jaron Jackson Jr. is not playing as well. Yeah. He's he's doing okay. He's he's watching the fouls. He one really he's game. watching the fouls. Yeah. That's the big yeah. thing with him. Yeah. I'm a big fan for sure. Um, what about you, Mo? Any of these other rookies? Nah, the the young kids are young. Yeah. <laughs> Hachimura is pretty good. Guys. Hachimura is he, surprising me. Yeah, he's, he, he, he's, he's good. Yeah, Nunn. Kendrick Nunn's pretty interesting in that sense of like he just kind of popped out of nowhere. I'm not sure if I he qualifies as a rookie, but he also went through a year in the G League. Yeah, yeah you know, having gone through a training camp with the Warriors too. Like he's I'm not Washington's sure. Good too. I did yeah. not expect to say that, but he's been good. I've watched him a few times. Yeah, Charlotte's been fun. That's been another team that's been surprising he's my to watch. Coach They've been fun to watch. Really, he's my non-playoff coach yeah, of the year. He really, really scrappy. Um, they fought exactly right. They've really fought, and the Graham kid Devante, has been fantastic. He should be their starting point guard. Yeah, they could play both together. They have, they should have on the court yeah. a little bit. Him and Roger. Yeah, but he's fantastic. he's just a whirling dervish of madness. Yeah. So athletic and powerful. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it. We're done. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week. I love the abruptness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like we pissed them off. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm done. I'm taking my ball. I'm so, going I'm home. I'm so angry right now. No, this is this is fun. Uh, always great to catch up with you, Coach. And uh, Mo, thanks for uh, you know helping me out as always. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Nerder She Wrote. Yeah.